Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad to hear most of you know who I am already. It's a good sign. I just met somebody in the high school class who's like, you've been here for five years? I, I thought you were here for like two months. <laughs> I was like, I used to have a ponytail. I don't know, maybe you just, you just didn't recognize me. But yeah, um, so, yeah, so I'm Kendall. Uh, I've been going to Midtown for around five years. I've been part of the, the Kai class for the entire time. And it's cool to know that like, I was coming here to, like, to preach to my family to, to, to look at all the faces I know, not just like a little bit like, oh yeah, we've been going to church for years, but like, how many of you have we spent hours together? Have we moved like 18 people 18 times together? Like, we've been doing life and doing ministry for a long time. So I'm, I'm so glad I don't have to come up here and be nervous and not wonder like if you guys know the Lord or if you guys even care what I have. Like, I just got to come up here and be with family. So I'm thankful for that. You know, just a little bit about me in backstory because I, I don't know every single one of you. Um, I was raised like, you know, an American household. I never really came to know Jesus or understand how important he was for my life or anything like that until I was 16. It became really clear that, like, my life did not look the way it was supposed to. I was, I was doing things like drugs. I was doing things like convincing people to not believe in God. My life wasn't what it was supposed to be. But I had a friend come to me and just, just professed to me, and he, he didn't know everything. He didn't have all the answers, but he, he just was like, Kendall, God's real, and I know he is. And I knew that what that meant. I knew that if, if I recognized that he was real, I recognized that I've been sinning against him my whole life. I'm not really in a good place with him right now. I need to call out to him. I need to tell him, I'm sorry for everything I did. I'm sorry that I betrayed you. I'm sorry I sinned against you. I, I believe you love me. I believe you made me. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you're Jesus Christ. And that happened when I was 16 years old. So it's been almost 10 years since then. I can't even begin to tell you how much my life changed and how much he's changed me and how much he's worked in me and how much of that is directly because of the church we're standing in. I spent five years without a church, without people, without anybody teaching me how to serve God. And to come here and to have people just be like, dude, it's in this book. It's, you've just been missing the verses. You've been missing the leadership and the spirit of God to lead you in your life. And so I now to spend like half the time I've been saved with, with these people, with these pastors, with these leaders, and be shown how, how to serve God and to do that in my life, something I was like, I, I had a zeal. I wanted to serve God. I loved him. I had no idea how to do that. And now I know exactly how to spend every day of my life, how to serve God and what he asked me what to do. I'm, to go through that, yeah, I'm just so thankful to be here. So, I've actually been reading from the Psalms for like three years. I'm a slow reader, I guess. I'm a slow studier. <laughs> but I, I knew the place I was going next was Ezekiel for whatever reason. I, it was just like, it was one of those things, you know, like God wrote it in the sky, I guess, and I saw it one day. And so I just began reading Ezekiel, and, I, and I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with the book of Ezekiel, but it's, it's different. <laughs> it's very different, and you'll see that here in a second. But just for a, a little bit of context, we're, we're in the Old Testament. Ezekiel is one of the major prophets, one of the longest books of your Bible, and the place in history we're at is God has, has made himself a physical kingdom through the Jewish people, through the, the lineage, the children of people like Isaac, people like Abraham, people like David. This is their physical kingdom in, in the promised land. And so what God wanted to do was to establish a physical kingdom through these people and for them to serve him, to love his law, to obey all his commands. 
But just like all humans, they, they kind of had some trouble doing that, right? And God even told them through prophets, hey, if you, if you don't listen up, if you don't do what I say, like, some bad stuff's going to happen. I'm, e- I'm even going to have enemy nations come in and, and show that the fact that you're actually not under my rule, you're not actually living in my kingdom, I'll make that a reality. If you don't, if you don't want to serve me and be in my kingdom, I'll, I'll make that real. And so he literally, what happens, and you can go read it yourself sometime, in 2 Kings chapters 24 and 25, the king of Babylon literally comes and like takes away a huge majority of the population of, of Israel, of Jerusalem, and, and takes and all their nobles, all their aristoc- aristocrats, all their you know, professionals, he literally just takes them to Babylon to be servants for them. And that's where we find ourselves at the beginning of the book of Ezekiel. And it says that, uh, first couple of verses there in the whole book. Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the, the captives, that's literally his ident- Ezekiel's identity at this point, he's a captive, by the river of Kibar, that the heavens were open, I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which is the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity. This is five years later. And just, just to put ourselves in this place to understand where we're coming from, like, like I feel like we, all, we, always watch movie, we always watch movies and there's like a good ending, right? Well, that's not really the case in the Bible. This, this not only was a bad ending, and I feel like a really bad ending for us is like you die. This is worse. This is literally like you watched a bunch of your loved ones die. You watched your city be destroyed. And not only, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to die too, this is over. No, you're literally taken captive and taken into another country and you've been serving them for years, separated from your loved ones, feeling separated from God. Like, imagine a nightmare that's been five years long. That's basically what these people have been through. And they're, they're desperate seeing how much they, they needed, they knew they needed God or maybe thought they needed something else. And just for a little bit more context... Because we're going to be talking about Ezekiel 2 today. Let's look at Ezekiel 1. I encourage you to go ahead and turn, if you haven't already turned your Bibles to Ezekiel, to, to go ahead and begin, like, kind of flip through Ezekiel 1 in its entirety. And just kind of maybe read a verse here and there and kind of pick up what's going on and while I talk about verse 13. Because, guys, this is probably, like, one of the, like, compare, except for, like, the entire book of Revelation, this is one of the craziest chapters in the whole Bible. And so looking at it verse by verse and going through it, it's like, this is just insane this is otherworldly this is like this is why people make shows called like what, what, ancient aliens or something like that. people like people make entire shows based on this chapter because they're like i don't believe in god but i believe in aliens and they got them in the bible like that. that's that's how insane this chapter is but god god knew that was coming god god didn't shy away from being the god that he is he didn't shy away from writing this insane chapter in the bible he did this on purpose and it was written down on purpose and for us And so looking at verse 13, I mean, look at this. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire and like the appearance of lamps. It went up and down among, among the living creatures and the fire was bright and out of the fire went forth lightning. Like, can you imagine if like fire was, I, I don't even have, like, that's just insane. Like lightning, like I don't, I don't know what's going on with these beings, but, but they're angelic and they're terrifying and they have like multiple heads and there's wings and like, it's a lot of things going on. And, and what God's trying to describe is the fact that, like, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm a spirit. I'm not like you. I literally come from above. And I, I've made other angelic beings, and they're, they're not like you. So if any, for a moment, you thought that I was a man or I was like a man, or that my glory was something that you could behold or understand, you're wrong. That's what God's trying to communicate through these things and through the, this vision. And I, I think it's so important 
to remember all of Ezekiel 1 before we move into chapter 2. Because it wasn't just like God popped up and was like, oh, hey, and by the way, do this. Like, Ezekiel had just seen the most, maybe the most incredible thing any man's ever seen. And then he was given a message and a command after seeing that. Like, every, this, whole, this whole message needs to be, like, to flavored by the fact that this vision happened before it. And so but before we begin and look at chapter 2 together, I'll, I'll just read the last few verses of uh, chapter 1 to, to kind of roll us into place. Starting in verse 26. And above the firmament that was over their heads was a likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was a likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. And I saw as the color of amber, as the appearance of fire round about within it, from the appearance of his loins even upward, and from the appearance of his loins even downward, I saw as it were the appearance of fire, and it had brightness round about. As the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so is the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I just want to come before you and um, say first, I, I don't understand your glory. I don't understand what Ezekiel saw. I don't understand how like incredible and otherworldly and um, as miraculous this event was. But God, I, I've seen enough in my life. I've seen your miracles and I've seen your word. And I know that um, you're the God of this book. And we're, we're just trusting you to do things that are this miraculous, that are this otherworldly, that are this um, unlike men and unlike this world in, in our lives to make us like you. So please be here today by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah. So I'm going to read the entirety of chapter 2, but really what we're going to be doing is we're going to be focusing on verse, uh, verse 6. But it's important for us to kind of, re- it's a short chapter for us to just read the whole thing together before we get going. And to start that off, I think the chapter starts off a really good way to start off a message. And he said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And the Spirit entered into me when he spake unto me and set me upon my feet that I heard him that spake unto me. So just, like, you know, let's make sure that we're, we're all, that I'm, we're all in a place that we're ready to hear from God. Because God asks us to be in a certain position. It's, you can't just come to him and willy-nilly. It's like, it's time, to, it's time for me to speak to you. Stand up. You guys can stay seated. <laughs> and he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me, even unto this very day. They are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. And they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall know that there hath been a prophet among them. And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words, the briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions." Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be rebellious house. Thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear, whether they will forbear, for they are most rebellious. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. When I looked, behold, and hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. He spread it before me, and it was written within and without. There was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. Yeah, so, so Ezekiel sees this, this miraculous vision, and then God's got a message for him. He says, hey, man, like, I've got a message for you, and it's a hard message. It's a hard thing to say. It's a hard thing to hear, but you've got to do it anyways. And so like I said, we're, we're going to focus on verse 6 here. So let me read that again. Let's, let's hone in on it. And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, 
Neither be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. So that's a, a kind of long way to be like, don't worry about them. Say what you got to say, and, and don't worry about them. Just, just do it. But, but God said it in those words for a reason. And that's what we're going to spend our time today doing, is looking at them like, okay, why did God use these words? Why didn't he just say, hey, and don't be afraid of them? He said it this way. And so let's look at, why did God use these words? And, and ultimately, what we're really going to see here is that God not only commands you to be a messenger and gives you a message, he commands you to be a fearless messenger. That, that's your job, that's your role. And to, to begin that, to begin to analyze it, what we're going to look at is, is so the beginning here. It says, and thou, son of man, be not afraid of them. And so again, you're like, all right, Kendall, we're, we're going to analyze the message. You, you're saying not be afraid, but, but come on, let's look at it. So who's, who's them? Who are they? And so for Ezekiel here, in, in this moment, in this, in this place, they were the children of Israel. But for us primarily, if we're going to spiritually apply this to our lives in the church, we're going to realize that this is the lost. These are the people that we have a hard message for them to hear the gospel. I mean, the, the beginning of it is explaining to them, hey, you're, you're evil. You're wicked. You've done wicked things, and you need to call it to God for, for forgiveness. That's a hard message. It's a hard thing to say. But not only that, let's not forget just the actual context here. Ezekiel was talking to people in his own house. He was talking to, he was talking to his brothers. He was... Um, talking to the children of Israel. And spiritually, that's who we are. We're spiritual Jews. We're the house of Israel. And so let's not forget the context here that this willingness to be a fearless messenger still applies within the church. Like if we're going to serve God for a whole lives, there's going to be times that maybe God gives you a message to your Bible study or to your, to your family and your home. or what, There's going to be people that are believers alongside you. You might have a hard thing to say. You might have rebellious people in your house. So let's not forget that our, um, yeah, our duty to say hard things doesn't just end with the loss. You know, it's just to come home and be comfortable. There's a reason why the word of God said to be for rebuke and correction as well. All right, so these are the people that we have to fear, but really what is there to fear? I think the, the beginning of this whole conversation, like what is there to fear in men, is shame. I think it's really easy for us to, you know, many of you have been to like what, hit the streets and gone evangelizing. It's pretty easy to get over the fact that the people didn't want to talk to you or maybe were a little rude to you. But at the same time, like, you know, I, I broke my arm. I've been, I've been injured severely. Like, it wasn't fun to do that, and I don't want to do that again. Like, I'm, I'm afraid of breaking my arm. I'm afraid of smashing my finger. That's, that's a reality. And so for, I know that every time I've ever had to, like, confront somebody with the gospel, a little part of me was like, I kind of don't want to do this. Nearly every time I do this, it's actually a pretty uncomfortable experience. I, I'm, I feel negative emotions when I do it. I'm ex- obviously in the spirit of God, I'm excited. And maybe if I'm out evangelizing by the fourth person, I'm like, woohoo, you know, let's go. <laughs> Bring it on, you know, like. But that first person, every single time, there's some apprehension. That's real. And that's because it's shame. Like, guys, we're, we're social creatures. The thing we want most is to feel approval from our family, to feel approval with each other. Like, no one's out in the woods, like, thinking the trees approve of them, or, like, the rocks. Like, no one's out there like, man, this forest loves me. I'm, you know. <laughs> we see our value in the way others treat us. That's, that's the one tangible thing we have down here that, that is, like, this, this spiritual reality you can actually hold on to and measure and value, because we know that everything else is kind of vain. So we struggle with that. That's something to fear of men. But God's saying for us not to fear. 
Another thing is position. So, and this is, this is kind of tied in with shame, but many of us, we ascribe our value to our place, our place within the church, our place at our jobs, our, the way our family sees us. We, we have the fear to losing that. And so if you're, if you're preaching someone a hard message and there are people who are in power over those things, you can be afraid, that, like, man, if, if I go tell this person, if I go tell this guy in my family that, I'm, that they're a sinner and they need to repent, man, maybe I won't be invited to the next family function or I won't be invited to the next thing or, or at work. Like, you can literally lose your job because you were obedient to God. If you, if, you, if you get an opportunity to preach the gospel to your boss and God said to do it and they're highly offended, they might just fire you. That's a reality. And dude, that's what pays the bills. But God said don't fear them. And in the reality, especially like as we see in the text, and hopefully not a reality in our lifetime, but can be our reality at any point and is the reality of brothers and sisters across the world is the reality of death. There are people that are so offended by the gospel message. There are people that are so offended by the word of God. They, they will literally track you down, hurt you, and kill you and your family. That, like, it's pretty easy for us to hear that or I don't know how many people watch Torture for Christ, but that's just real. And if we're afraid of that, we're not being the messengers that God's asked us to be. And just, just talking about fearing men, I think Jesus really just hits the nail on the head, obviously. He's the type of guy to do this sort of thing. But let's, let's read Matthew 10 together. Let's look at verses um, 26 through 39. Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. Why tell you in darkness that speak ye in light? What ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are able to kill the soul. Rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and falleth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. So like I said, Jesus really addressed this subject well. Why would you fear a man who can only physically hurt you or take something physically away from you when I'm the God of like these chariots of fire? I'm the God that has, that has these powers. Like I create beings that literally their skin crackles with fire and lightning shoots out. You're afraid of a guy with a gun? And also, he's, he, he understands like, these, this idea of being afraid of shame, this idea of being afraid of, of losing position, and he addresses that exactly. He's like, I'm, I'm even talking about your mother and your father. I'm talking about your cousins. I'm talking about your uncles. There's no, I have a message for you, and there is no excuse not to preach it. There's, you can't fear breaking relationships with people in the world. You have to be willing to lose everything to follow after me and to speak the truth. So let's dissect this a little more. Let's move forward and look at this verse again. So Ezekiel 2.6, it continues and said, And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words. 
later on, even repeats in the same verse, be not afraid of their words. And you're like, well, well, Kindle, yeah, I mean, we kind of already talked about them, and obviously they're going to be speaking words when they're yelling at me or speaking words before they kill me. But like, so, so why does God say intentionally multiple times, be not afraid of their words? So I think what's important here, and so yeah, so our next key point is, don't fear their words. Like, it, it's that simple. It's a command. It's a simple thing. It's something, that's something you can hold on to and say, whenever people are saying words to you that you don't like in regards to your ministry, you can remember God said, don't fear their words. But the, the very nature of this, so, so again, why is God pointing out this thing? Why isn't, why isn't God just saying, just, oh, hey, don't fear them? So the nature of words is maybe different than we're used to. I mean, think about God. Like, we know God is, like, not this book, but these words that he wrote down, like, this is his mind. This is a product of God. To, to separate God from his word or the power that is in them, you can't do that. There's something very distinct about the words of, of God. There's something very distinct about the words of man and their inseparability from the person who spoke them. They're, they're a product of them. They're a product of their soul. Jesus says, and things that come out of your mouth, that's what they are. It's a result of, like, who you are internally. And so the nature of words that are opposing you in your ministry of the gospel or opposing your ministry of the word of God, these words by nature are lies. That, that's, that's their definition. Like, no one's going to, like, convince you not to preach the gospel with the truth. And even if they are using, like, true facts and that sort of thing, they're, they're saying it with a false motive. They're, t- they're even like, like Satan in the garden. He was saying kind of true things. He was like, oh, yeah, you won't, you won't die. But the reason why he's trying to, to say that to them, it was kind of a true thing, but it was to get them off beat, to get them off step. So by definition, the words somebody is saying to you when you're, if they're opposing your ministry are lies, and you, you need to hold on to that. I actually thought of this this morning about, like, the lack of value of a lie. So say you have a code on a box to a key you need to get in a house, and the owner of the house has, like, told you the code, and you need to get in. Well, if somebody tells you a lie regarding that code, and I go and I go press 350 star, and it doesn't open, like, that's not valuable. That, that literally did nothing for me. All I know is that the code is not 350 star. That didn't help me at all. But what I should have done in the very first place, Esai's laughing because this literally happened to us. <laughs> I couldn't get in the house. But um, it, it's just worthless. And so, and guys, like sometimes, I mean, check out John 9. Literally, Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees is he's saying truth to them and they just lie to him. They're just like, nope, that's not true. Or this lie is true. That's all they do. That's Look, throughout the Bible, people that are opposing the word of God are just lying. They're not saying like, oh, that's actually a good argument. No, they're literally just lying. They're either saying something that's directly not true or they're misconstruing a truth to, to, to profess a lie. That's all they're doing. They're never going to oppose you with truth. Because truth's on God's side. He's truth. So just remember that. Before you take into account in those words, that you have the capability of fearing them. Because when, when those words are ascribing your worth, if they're telling you your identity, if they're telling you about your life, if you, if you take that first step and you remember, wait, those are lies, you can just throw them away. They can't even really teach you anything. All, all you know is that that tidbit of information was false somehow. And you, you can just keep trudging forward in faith and in boldness, understanding that I, actually, I do know the truth. I have it. I have it from my God. 
and I have excommunity, and anything you have that opposes that, and not, not questions it, you know, answer people's questions, obviously, but anything that's directly opposing it, it's just not true. And you, you can know that, you can sit on that, you can rest on that, including things that are going on intern, internal monologues. In your heads, if you've got things that are opposing your ministry or trying to get you to do something you know is not right, just call it a lie and throw it away. That's all you got to do. It's that simple. That's the nature of words. And then, so here's the scary thing. Words that aren't just regarded as lies or words that you begin to, to consider, maybe it's this true. Maybe I, maybe I am foolish for preaching the gospel. Maybe I am doing this wrong. Maybe I shouldn't be preaching to people because it's more loving just to pick up trash in the city until someone notices how Christ-like I am. That lie has been bought hook, line, and sinker throughout this country. Those words, if you give them power, if you, if you look at them, and you really consider them, they can, they can change the world. I mean, I'm talking about lies. I'm talking about bad words. Not like cuss words, but bad words. Like, uh, I don't know how you're familiar. Natalie will probably laugh at this, but I, got a, I went on a kick on communism. I always heard, like, our country hated communism, but no one really ever explained communism or anything like that. So I kind of just, like, went into a hole and researched it for a while. I'm not a communist, don't worry. <laughs> and it was great. No, but, um, no, it was horrible. People, a lot of people died. It's, it's pretty crazy stuff. But guys, the, the guy that wrote the Communist Manifesto and Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, like these guys that like came with this idea, it wasn't even really popular in their lifetime. But do you know what? There are literally nations defined by their lies and by their words to this very day. Entire nations, that's how powerful words are. And I didn't say tr- true words. I said words, any words. They have that power. People fear them, people reverence them, people obey them. If we look at 1 Samuel 15, verse 24, it says, And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in thy words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Guys, if you fear someone's words, you're going to obey them. You're going to listen to what they say. You're going to begin to act as if they're true. That's the danger of fearing someone's words. That's the danger of not diagnosing them as a lie. So guys, just don't do that. Don't treat men's words like God's words. They're not going to be remembered. They have no authority. They're not going to be written down. Set any words any man has to say that opposes your ministry to set them aside and remember the word of God. That's how you're going to remain in a place of boldness, in a place without fear. And God doesn't end there. In Ezekiel 2, 6, he considered, continues and says, nor be dismayed at their looks. So there's this other part of man that's it's so intrinsic, God finds it worthy to be spoken. He says, like, we've we got to address this. So our next key point is don't be dismayed by their looks. It's, it's that simple. That, that's a command. It's not like a request or a requirement or like, you know, I'm going to minister my whole life and like, dang it, I just kind of had some fear in my heart the whole time and I was dismayed, but I went and did it. These are commands. You're, you're, supposed, to, you're supposed to do these things without fear and without dismay. That's... That's the mark. That's the goal. That's what God's telling us here. And so let's dissect looks a little bit. What, what is God telling us about looks? Why, why are they so important? Why is this even worth considering? Well, guys, like I said, we're, we're very social creatures. Like our faces, like think how much you can tell if someone's upset by their countenance. Or you can tell how they've been or how they've been doing or if they're happy to see you or not. Our faces are like these like automatic emotion Communicators, you know, you know, it's like it's there's so much more is being said by your face than words ever can. 
I think primarily one of the main uses we use is, is approval. It's like when we're looking around, I, I'm sitting here, like luckily I can't see your faces if you're, <laughs> if you're not approving. But the reason, I'm looking out and I'm, I'm hoping to see you guys that you're, you're here and you're, you're picking up what I'm putting down, that you're, you're listening. That this is, and I'm hoping Brandon is like looking at me like, keep going and not like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm looking to him. And I don't think you realize like how innate this is, like how like there's God stands for a reason. Be not dismayed by their looks, because guys, guess what? You you probably have been or are or ha- have the capacity to be. This is very real. I didn't realize like how innate and intrinsic being dismayed or looks was to me until the other day in Bible study. Uh, during like you know we're like doing our prayers and prayer requests, and I, I was I was being a little more vulnerable than normal. So normally as Bible study leader, you don't want to just like tell your guests be like, hey, and actually I'm a horrible person, but I'm about to teach you the Bible. That's normally not. I wasn't doing anything like that, but I was being a little more vulnerable than normal. And I kept wondering to myself, like, during this time when I'm expressing this vulnerability, I, like, couldn't stop looking at Brian. Brian's my Bible study. He's a great guy. But I couldn't stop looking at him. Literally, I'm, like, I'm, like trying to communicate. But I just, like, kept looking at Brian. I'm, like, thinking to myself later, like, why was I just, like, staring Brian down? That was weird. And I realized later, like, oh, like, Brian's somebody I respect and looked up to. He's the leader of my Bible study. I was, like, innately looking to Brian for, on his face for approval. If Brian's face looked like, hey, continue, yeah, you're, you're, doing, you're not being too vulnerable, you're doing great. You know, I, and I kept, I, I kept going. You know, it was fine. If, if I looked over at Brian, Brian would have been like, dude, no. Like, <laughs> I would have stopped. And so really, like, even just our faces, like, that's what we do. That's when we look at people's faces, we're... We're almost looking to them permissively. And so what God's telling them, hey, hey, Ezekiel, hey, Christian, you're going to give some messages, and literally the look on their face is going to innately gut check you. It's going to make you want to stop speaking. It's going to make you want to stop saying what you're saying. It's a hard thing, and the look on their face looks like they don't want to hear it. It looks like they don't like you. It looks like it's saying, stop. Don't speak anymore. Don't move forward. That's it right there. And so, so God said this on purpose. He's saying, I don't, I don't care what their faces look like. I need you to continue forward with what you're saying. Now, not, obviously, I'm not saying chase people down. Like, if you're, out, if you're out evangelizing somebody, and the person's literally trying to leave the conversation, that's a different story. But people that are willing to engage you, if we look in the, look in the Bible and look at the, the accounts of what it looked like for people that were willing to engage you in, ne- in a negative context, like, look what happened to Paul over and over and over. He literally got chased out of cities. He got, he got put in prison because God saw, or not God, Paul saw the dismay on their faces and he heard their words and he said, my God is a God that tells me to keep preaching the truth no matter what they say, no matter what their faces look like. And this is all the way up until, until death for people, many time, time and time again. And so for us, and again, like, Talking about believing lies, I think there, there's, it's a really easy thing to believe, like, you know, because we want to love people. We want to minister the gospel to people. We want to say, like, you know, we want to become, have an affectionate relationship with them and then plant the gospel. That's obviously ideal. If we, if we could do that each and every day, there's not enough time for us to make friends with seven billion people. There's going to be times where it looks like, like Paul, where you're in the market and you're talking to people. You're at the coffee shop and you're talking to people. And just, just don't believe the lie that the moment that their words oppose yours... Or that their face looks dismayed, or that their face looks makes you want to be dismayed because they're not proving. God's God's saying green light go. He's saying keep that conversation rolling because you know what that is? That's conviction. That's them realizing and understanding that they're opposed to God. It's a hard thing to hear. 
by definition, you're probably doing a good job if those people are, are arguing with you or you're, you're getting the message across. So don't be dismayed. And like I said, let the spirit lead. The spirit is the one in control. He knows this. He knows this book. He'll tell you when it's time to stop. I'm just telling you, and God, what God's telling you is that their words of opposition and their, and their looks are not a red light from God. He says, keep it coming. Another thing God speaks, oh yeah, and as a, just to, to characterize the seriousness of how much God wants you to see this message sent through to the end, Ezekiel 3, verse 18, he says, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will require at thy, thine hand. Like, I was talking to Ezekiel, and this is a different situation, but do you guys kind of pick up, like, God's, the seriousness of God's heart in regarding to your willingness to be a fearless messenger and to see that message communicated to the end? God's very, very serious about doing that. He says all this knowing the heart of your audience. He says all this knowing, like, knowing these guys don't want to hear. That's what he says. Though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions, though they be a rebellious house. God already, he already knows. He's not like sending you with a message that like, hey, they're probably going to like it. He's like, Dude, these people aren't going to like it. They're not going to like hearing it. Here's a book about how much they don't like hearing it. Even the people I've loved, even the people I've shown myself, even the people I healed and ministered to. This is how much people don't want to hear what I have to say. So the last key point we can hold on to is we, we have to do these things despite the wickedness of our audience. So looking at the nature of man, briars and thorns and, and scorpions, these things are poisonous. These things are, are choking, they're hindering. They, they, by nature, they want to hold you back. They want to keep you from doing the ministry that God would have you to do. These people want to poison you. These people want to poison you with lies. They want to get in you and they will convince you that your ministry is worthless, that it's ineffective and it's not working. And they want to be the prime example of that. Look how, look how much you just, I almost said the P word. The, you know, the, I, look how much you really upset that person. Like, you did this wrong. You're being too forward with the gospel. You're being, you're being too much. And they will poison you and you'll believe that. And next time you see somebody being oppositional or even before you even speak to them, you start thinking about how the conversation's gonna go and you go, oh, they're not gonna like it. Not gonna, I, I just better wait for a more open door. I better wait for like, when it looks like they're just ready to receive Christ. That's poison, guys. God said, I, I know they don't wanna hear it. I know they don't like it. I know they're rebellious. Go tell it to them anyway. And just, just to get a grip on the whole, like to, to begin to understand like the very nature of, of these people, of the lost, I think we should just read Romans 3, 10 through 18 together. I think another poison that's in this country, in this land, in this world, is the thought that people that like take care of their families or, or kiss you goodnight or work hard and go home or donate to charity, that those people are like, they're not so bad. That, that's not God's diagnosis. That's not what he says about them. That's not how he thinks you should regard them because you're going to treat them different if you don't understand that they're rebellious, how they are by nature briars and thorns and scorpions. Romans 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. 
They are together to become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. In the way of peace they have, have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So this, is, this is God's description of man. He didn't say, These are, this is the, wor- the worst people of mankind, and some people do better than this. By, by default, this is what rests inside the heart of every man, woman, and child, every old lady that gives you cookies, your, grand, your grandmothers, your aunts, your uncles, everybody, and within yourself. It's really important. If, if you're going to speak to an audience, you, you need to know who your audience is. And if you've believed a lie that these people are like, they're just, they're just a little off. They're trying their hardest. They're doing good. No, what God says in, throughout the book of Romans is, I've told them about me myself through creation. I delivered that message to them. I gave them a conscience, and they've rejected me through and through, over and over throughout their entire lives. They rejected my ministry to them. And this is my judgment of them and their wickedness and where they're at. That's where you guys got to understand. That's where every single person's actually at in their heart. If you don't understand that's where you're at, how can you try to coax them out of it? How can, you, how can you tell them, you've got sin you need to be repented of? You've got sin that God thinks you're worthy to go to hell for. You've got to be able to give that message and be able to understand that. So in looking at, the, at this all, just kind of like coming back, the questions we need to be asking ourselves is, like, I mean, first and foremost, are you being a messenger? Is that, is that something you identify with? Is it something you, you see yourself as? Is that who you are? And then not only that, but are, are you a fearless messenger? Like, I was very convicted by this. I'm, I've definitely not been a fearless, fearless messenger in many times, many cases. I came to people and I was worried what they'd say or I was worried they were going to, you know, come back at me or get angry. And I, did, I didn't want that. I didn't want to have that negative emotion. I didn't want to have that negative feedback. I, I wanted to just have this nice <laughs> talk about Christ with them. So I was afraid. That's not what God's calling us to. He's saying, guys, when you go to somebody and you're willing to, to preach my word to them, if you're willing to talk to them, I need you to be steadfast in your hearts. Because the, the form of that communication is absolutely going to be jaded by the fact of whether or not you were, you were bold or whether you were fearful in that presentation. Like when I was talking about earlier, that guy that convinced me that God was real, he, he, he had no, like, he is not an intellectual. He, he didn't, like, he did not convince me in any regard. He had no argument with me, but that he was steadfast. He was like, God is real, Kindle, and I'm not put off by anything you have to say. So our, our countenance, everything we have when we communicate people gospel is, th- this is the truth. And I'm not afraid of anything you have to say. I'm not afraid of any of your lies. I'm not afraid of any of your threats. This is the truth, and I, I, I and my God want you to hear it. He sent me here to say that. We have to have that confidence. If we're coming in kind of like cold or worried, they can pick that up. Just because lost people are wicked and doesn't mean they're not stupid. If they come, if you come to them, they see you kind of half-hearted, or they're going to pick up on that. They're going to say, well, why would I believe in something this guy's not even that sure about? Another thing about that, so then I think, so we, we see commands like this, like, you know, like uh, pray without ceasing or preach the gospel fearlessly. And I think it's very easy to say within ourselves, well, I'm just not at a place where I can preach fearlessly yet, so I'm just going to 
sit back, pack up my Bible and my survival gear and go out in the wilderness until I can really just like become the man of God that allows me to, to preach the gospel fiercely because I, I just want to do it 100%. Well, that's not really what the Bible is saying either. Like say, to go back to, to roofing and stuff, like if I told my guy, hey, go, go nail those shingles on the roof and you know, do it right, and I go up there and they, they've done it wrong, like, I've been like, okay, well, the shingles are on the roof. It's not going to leak. It's not really the way I wanted it done. But, you know, we're, we're here. We, we've got a product. We're, the thing I do is roof houses. And there's a roof on a house. I guess that's enough. But if, but if somebody said to themselves, oh, man, I just, I just know Kendall's going to be, this isn't 100% perfect. This isn't 100% what Kendall wanted. It's not how he wanted it nailed. I'm just going to sit down here. And I'm just going to maybe tidy up the ground a lot and keep the shingles real nice and the nails so then he comes he can come do it himself. Dude, I told you to put the roof on the house. Like, that's what I said to do. I, you'll get better at it. You'll work towards it. The more, and the more you do it, the better you'll be at it. So the fact that we won't do these things perfectly, that we won't be able to do this fearlessly, is not an excuse. Putting yourself in those positions, see them as a challenge. Every time you go to preach the gospel to somebody and there's fear in your heart, don't say to yourself, oh, I have to wait till I'm fearless. Say to yourself, why don't I believe God's word enough to not, to, to not have fear right now? What's, what's wrong with me? I need to pray about this. I need to come to my God and, God, I've got fear in my heart. I don't know why. I guess I'm just too young and I need your grace or something. I mean, I mean that's how we're doing all this, isn't it? Like, is the recipe ever going to be, man, I showed up and I was just, hmm, I, I did it, man. I, I, I read my Bible for 45 minutes this morning. I prayed and I feel great. And this gospel presentation is going to be a slam dunk. Like, that's not the God of the Bible. He's the God that says, my grace is sufficient for thee. He's a God that says, no, dude, you, you know what you are? You're a messenger. And yeah, I want you to do it fearlessly, but if you can't right now, go ahead and go do it. Because like, the one thing I want you to do is spread the message. So go do it anyways. Be confident. Understand that God's with you. And so I think the last thing we really need to consider all this, so like, I'm talking this identity of messenger. So I don't, I don't know everybody in this room. I don't know where you're all at. But maybe just the identity of messenger is something you've, you've never considered yourself. You never like looked down and saw like your name tag that said messenger on it. Or never had like, I know the moment I got saved, I knew I had to go tell everybody. I don't care who they were. I, don't, I didn't care what they had to say. I wish I still had that like newborn zeal. I, I went to everyone. I told them. I didn't care what they had. I didn't care. I'm telling you the gospel. Because it saved me. I'm different now. So guys, it, this moment of change, this moment that you're recognizing that you're a messenger now, that you have a message to give, if you've never had that, then maybe it's time you hear that message. I'm going to put that message in terms, because like, again, I'm talking, I've talked a few times about things in this country being a little amiss. So there, there's ideas in, around here of how to, be, how to become that messenger. Are you born a messenger? How, how do you become one? So the Bible lays it out really well. Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's just, that's just the fact. That's the way it is. And that's the first step. And guys, I know people that I can't get through that first verse with them. They won't sit there and they won't say, okay, yeah, I'm a sinner. What's, what's next? So, so please just understand that. Like, you understand there's a law written in your hearts. There's, there's, you've, just, you've lied. Even if you're a kid and that's the only thing you think of, oh, I stole a king of store. Okay, well, you stole. And I'm sure there's probably some more stuff after that you've done too that you're, you're fully aware of. But you, got, you have to come to terms with that. The next part, which is the next like, kind of step that you, ha- you have to hold on to, you have to believe. 
is Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. And so just as much as the, the fine for littering is like, you know, $50 or whatever, God says like, hey, I'm, I'm a just and holy God. I'm, I'm the God of Ezekiel 1. I'm dead serious about sin. I'm dead serious about obedience. The price that has to get paid if you sin against me, because I'm infinitely holy, infinitely mighty, and infinitely worth obeying, is death. And by death, God does not mean in the Bible. He doesn't mean like unconsciousness forever. Death just is a transition of state. And what the Bible defines as the second death is being cast into the lake of fire, where you're tormented day and night with brimstone and with fire. That, that's what the Bible says. That's the reality. If you don't understand that the wages of sin is death, and that you have earned that wage... That's that every single human that ever walks this earth, that will be the case for them at some point in their, in their lives. When they've sinned and they've come before God as, as a man, they've earned being in the lake of fire, and God will justly give that to them at the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20. He will, he will look at every man, he'll judge the works, and he says, well, it looks here and it says you sinned, and the wages of sin is death. That's what my book says. So you'll be cast into the lake of fire. So that's the bad news. That's the warning that Ezekiel's talking about. In verse 18, that's the warning we have to give people. And if you're not giving people that warning, they're not going to be able to hear the good news regarding that warning. The good news is that, but God committed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. It's like I said before, God said there was a wage of death that had to be paid. God said, well, you know what? It looks like all of my creation is going to end up in hell if they have to pay this themselves. But I love them. Even though they're sinners, even though they're sinning against me, even though there are these people that have hated me for millennia, I've had to flood this world. I'm going to go there myself. I'm going to show them how to do it. I'm going to let myself be the final sacrifice on the cross. I'm going to become, I'm going to be a perfect man. And the, my blood, my life is going to be perfect and pure and infinite because I'm, I'm God in the flesh. And I'll pay that blood as a price of death that had to be paid for all, for everything, for everyone, for all time. That's what he did. That's what Jesus did on the cross. That's the power of the cross. Okay, well now, is this everyone else off scot-free? Well, the the Bible continues to call that a gift. And so a gift is something you have to receive, you have to partake in. So God kind of laid some parameters around us. What does it look like to to pick up that gift and open it? How do do you make it your own? Because obviously not everyone does. In Romans 10, 9, 10, it says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's that simple, but it's not easy. There's some things involved there. To confess Jesus is Lord, that's not just a, it's not just a recognition that he's real or that, like, James speaks of the fact that oh, the demons know God's real. The demons know that that's reality. God wants you to understand that Jesus is Lord, which means he is to be obeyed, he is to be followed. To, re- to confess Jesus is Lord means to say, I've been doing my own thing for so long. I've been obeying my laws. I've been being my own Lord. I need to tell Jesus that he's Lord. So what that looks like is saying like, God, I've been doing it all wrong. I'm sorry for doing that. I want to follow you out. And that doesn't mean you have to be perfect. It doesn't mean you have to even like try to be. But in in a moment of you crying out to God, you need to recognize that he's Lord and you're not and what that means for your life. And then to believe that he rose from the dead, you have to understand like, you got to put faith in this guy that he's the one that has power over life and death. He's the only one that rose himself from the grave. He's the only person that has power. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as of right now, like even, even if you didn't believe in God, like you're stuck going in a hole at the end of your life. That's all, that's all we've got without Christ. 
You're going to die. You need somebody to deliver you from death. That's your only hope, or all of this is just going to go away and never have mattered. So God asks you, put faith in me. Put faith in me that I'm that God. I'm the God that, that raised up Jesus from the dead, and I will raise up your life with him at the end of days. And guys, that's it. That's the free gift. And like I said, if there isn't a moment that you had where you, you believe those things, and maybe it didn't have to be like a perfect like theological understanding and like you gave God your PhD thesis and then he saved you. Like, but if you've never had a moment where you understood kind of just like the, sim- the simple turns of that, that Jesus died for you, that he rose from the dead and that you believe that now and you, I'll do what you say, dude. That's all it takes. If you've never had that moment, I, I just really encourage you like, Nearly everyone in this room understands the stuff I'm talking about. Just talk to them. Talk to somebody. In your, or we're going to have people up front here in a second. And you're going to be able to come forward and talk to them. I beg you, don't leave this. Don't leave this room not knowing whether or not you've taken on the identity of messenger. And for everyone else, I just encourage you. Like, like I said, like, I needed to hear this, dude. I'm not, I'm not a fearless messenger. But I, I also encourage you to come before God. Or maybe even like you want to keep this scripture in memory or so, something. Make, let's make a stake in the ground and say, I don't just want to be the messenger that... I showed up here today. The, the Bible's right. I'm not a fearless messenger. It's not, I don't come that boldly to people. Let's make, let's make a resolve in our hearts to obey God and to be the messengers he asks us to be. So, Laura, I just come before you, and I'm humbled before your word. God, make me a better messenger. Make me somebody who is um, not only coming to people boldly and fearlessly and willing to speak your truth and your words and not fearing them, Lord, but one who it was so like bold and not fearful that I'm actually looking for opportunities. I want it to happen because it's a good thing because it's obeying you. I believe that you're that God. I believe you're worth following. I believe you're worth um, hearing and listening to and worshiping and speaking about. God, let's live our lives with you as that God on our lips and on our hearts. And I, I love you. I know everyone here does too. We ask this all in your son's name. Amen. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.